Hi, everyone. <laughs> no, you can't start like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, all. Welcome <laughs> to... Okay, hi all. Welcome back to Culture Bucket. This is the 31st episode of Culture Bucket. We've got it into our fourth decade. Is that right? Yeah. I think. I guess. I'm your host, George. I am here to, to, to talk to you about culture and pop it all in a bucket. With me is my co-host, <laughs> Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. How are you, George? Hi, I'm pretty good today. Uh, I had a long drive yesterday and I'm tired and my brain isn't working properly. Where did you go? Oh, uh, you know, all places within uh, legal ramifications of COVID. I forgot. <laughs> Necessary <laughs> <Let's> driving. Not... <laughs> yes, let's not uh, divulge. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a week back in school and I'm already done. <laughs> Good. I'm still on my, my holidays, so I'm happy. With my students. Uh, no, I love my students. I'm done with just driving to work every day. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about you, actually, the oh, other yeah. day. And I was wondering, I haven't asked you how your mind app is going. Is it still working? Are you still Calm. listening to? Yeah, ah, mind. Well, it's a mindfulness app, isn't it? So that, I like... guess, I guess. I, that's that's how my brain works. Like, I don't really know the specific things. I just know around it. <laughs> so the Calm app. How, how, how is the Calm app treating you? It's treating me well. I'm still using it. I'm still using the sleep stories. I, I had a night uh, a few nights ago where I really couldn't get to sleep. Uh, and I put a sleep story on and I fell asleep within about five minutes. So uh, it's still working. I'm liking it. Um. I need to get. I want to try more of the meditation type stuff in it, but uh, I've not had the patience yet. Uh, <laughs> but I'll yeah. Get there. But the yeah, sleep stories yeah. are 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 worth it. I recommend it. Still strong recommend on on the Calm app for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's because I was thinking about it because I've I've uh, you know when you get back to work you can't really sleep very well. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I guess because it's all the information that you do, you yeah. go in and you have like, especially after I think I think we were we were in isolation for like four weeks, five weeks, yeah, here, and so uh, then the first week at school, which is like trying to fall asleep, and I was like, bing. Well, you should you should check it out. Listen to some people. Listen to Killian Murphy tell you about traveling across Ireland on a train, and that'll put you to sleep. Uh, they sell over here, you can get in Tesco, you can get jigsaws that are branded Calm Jigsaws and they link with the app and you're meant to buy the jigsaw and do the jigsaw while listening to a specific thing on the app and it's meant to be help you uh, with a bit of a mindfulness or meditation and stuff like that. And I think if you buy the jigsaw, it gives you like a month free on the app or something. So uh, sure, check that out. <laughs> you in the UK? Sure. Um, 
Cool. Cool. Right. Today we're doing, uh, we'll do it later, obviously, not right now. We're not going to upend the entire structure of our podcast just for you. But we are doing top five Coen Brothers episode, uh, films. What am I doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're doing top five Coen Brothers <laughs> movies today, which is exciting. Um, we'll get into that more later. It's a bit more specific than we've done before, but I'm excited to talk about one of my favourite um, auteurs. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but quick note up top, we've both left off, I think, probably The Big Lebowski, only yeah. because uh, it was in our top five <laughs> films. So that's already been covered. We know that we love that movie. So yeah. we'll talk, we're going to highlight some other Coen Brothers films as well. Uh, but first, let's get into Culture Catch Up. This is Culture Catch Up. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. I'm starting this week. Yeah. Yes. yes yeah, please. good. So I have played a couple of video games this week. Nice. Nice. I've been able to um, spend some family time because it's been a holiday. So mm-hmm. I've been playing some games with my bro. And uh, we've been playing some co-op games made by Hazelight Studios and published by EA. Uh, do you know what a co-op game is, Alex? I I don't know. Co-op is a shop, but it's also cooperative. It could be like a sustainable, uh, uh, no, uh, something like that is made by people, but not big company, like a, no. No. But then, no. <laughs> Thinking about like nice, like, you know, free stuff and just go like, yeah, yeah no, like is, it, is it all sustainable? Yeah. No. No, obviously not. It's um, <laughs> you, it's where you work together with. It's where you play the game with somebody else and you work together to solve the game and complete oh. it. So cooperative in that way. If you see what I mean. Ah, uh, not cooperative as a like a cooperative. No, because that wouldn't be a type. That wouldn't like be a type of game. It would be like a way of making games, I guess. And maybe there are some public developers, indie developers, that are a bit like that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, as opposed to most multiplayer games, you're competing, aren't you? Like competitive yeah. multiplayer games. Mm. And then you've got cooperative where you work together. So this developer made a game in, I think, about 2011 called Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which was not a cooperative game. It was mm. a single-player game. But if you think about a um, a game controller, Alex, you know how it's got the two kind of little joystick pads on it that you move your character with, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So in this game, brothers, you played as two brothers, and the left joystick would control one brother, and the right joystick would control the other brothers, and you had to... It was quite an interesting game, because you had to almost split your mind in two to mm. complete challenges with by, with both brothers. And it has a very emotional um, moment at the end of the game, and it's one of my favourite games of all time, Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, and if you've not played it and you're listening, you should definitely check it out, because it's beautiful and brilliant and wonderful. And um, the guy that made it... Uh, I think he's called Joseph. Let me look him up because he's an interesting man. Joseph Fares. Joseph Fares. So his first game was, um, yeah, Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. He's a Swedish... uh, Game designer, but before he was a game designer, he was a film director. And mm-hmm. um, after 
I think after Brothers came out, he did he did a talk at some awards show where he um, just started going, F the Oscars, F the Oscars, I hate the Oscars, da-da-da-da. And people were a bit like, you're a video game guy, what's going on? But it turns out he's also a film guy, but he left the film industry because he hates it to now make uh... video games. And he made a masterpiece in Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Then he founded Hazelight Studios and started producing games with a focus on people playing them together, co-op games. And the first mm-hmm. game he produced came out in 2018, and it is called A Way Out. And it is a game about two men. It's set in the 70s, mm. and each player plays one of the two people. And basically, by, at the start of the game, you're both in prison, and the aim of the game is to escape from prison. Hence Ooh. the title, A Way Out. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've wanted to play it for a while. It's never been the right kind of circumstance because obviously you've got to find someone else to play it with. But because I've been, you know, spending some time with family during this holiday, I was able to play through it with my brother. And I am going to have to report that it's one of the worst video games, Alex, I've ever played. (laughs) How did this happen? Brothers A Tale of Two Sons is one of my favorite games of all time. Somehow, the same person that made that produced a way out which i thought got quite poor reviews but when i looked it up the other day people loved this game it's bizarre mm. to me it's the script is written by it feels like somebody who watched all of quentin tarantino's movies in a single day and then just immediately wrote the script for this video game mm. but without any of the like originality or flair of um of Tarantino, and then they got the actors they hired to deliver the lines had never read um, <laughs> English before, maybe had never read like had never like spoken out loud before, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> how they found them, but it's just bizarre uh... line readings across the board. The way you escape from prison is it happens quite early on, you know, actually, because the game goes on to do a, a load of other stuff. It doesn't make sense. Like, in order for the way you escape from prison in this game to work, it would mean that toilets in prisons aren't connected to any kind of plumbing system. Mm. Because you just drag the toilet away from the wall. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It's so weird. Um, And then it's full of, like, I don't know, like the thing, like you're walking up to... This is a big issue of the game is, like, the the screen is split in two. You're playing as one person. You're co-op partners playing as the other and you're sat together on the couch say and you'll be dumped in a scenario like a prison uh, yard and you'll walk up to somebody and start talking to them and then your partner walks up to somebody else and starts talking to them and then you've got two conversations happening at the same time different people but the audio is just layering itself on top of each other and without if you turn subtitles off in this game it would be impossible because you would have no idea it would just be people talking over each other for six hours it's bizarre. And then, like, it, it, it throws these mini games at you where, like, there's a bit where you're in a construction yard and there's some people arm wrestling. So you go up and go, I want to arm wrestle. And you and your partner sit down and start arm wrestling. And what it results in is me and my brother sat on the couch just smashing the square button on our controllers. And the, the whole aim of it is just to see who can press square faster is the winner. It's not exactly sort of, you know, <laughs> top level. <laughs> game design i don't know so i played through it realized quite quickly i didn't like it but we played through it to the end it's got a ludicrous twist that if you look at it online people go oh my god the twist it made me oh 
But my brother found a review of somebody who said, I've watched hundreds of films and played hundreds of video games and none of them have ever made me cry until the ending of A Way Out. And that made me cry. No, it's no. 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 <laughs> yes. It's ludicrous. Yeah, so it's your opinion. <laughs> like, I'm sure... <laughs> No, what somebody somebody's seen hundreds of films and played hundreds of games, and this is the first time they've ever cried. That no, is you're absurd. right. You're right. Yeah, it's you're right. Ridiculous. Um, so I I played for it and didn't like it, but but I'd heard that the next game that just came out from this developer, uh, called It Takes Two, has come out and had like loads of really good reviews, and I looked it up and it looked more my kind of thing. So then we downloaded that, and we haven't finished that yet, but we've been playing that, and that is fantastic, and I'm happy to report that I've found a good game from this developer, which is good. In It Takes Two, you play as May and Cody, a married couple who live in a farmhouse with their daughter Rose, and at the start of the game, it's revealed that May and Cody are going to get a divorce because they're not happy together anymore. They break the news to their daughter, Rose, who runs upstairs and starts crying and is upset, and she's made two little dolls of her parents. Uh, May is made out of wood and has blue hair, and Cody is made out of clay and has, like, green hair. And she cries. Her tears land on the dolls, and she throws them down to the side, and suddenly the dolls get up, and somehow the parents have been turned into the dolls, if that makes sense. Oh. So then it's like a kind of... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type scenario where you're where you're like tiny and you're working through the house to try and get back to your daughter mm. to try and become, you know, normal people again. There's this, she's brought this book online uh, called like the Book of Love or something that's meant to be like a way of couples who are arguing, getting back together. And the book comes to life and is kind of like leading you through the game. And it's got this mm. ridiculous voice that's quite funny. And like in the first level, for example, you're in the tool shed and the vacuum cleaner that but you, that um, the husband broke and then the wife didn't fix because she's an engineer and she was meant to fix it. Uh, the, that comes to life and is angry at you for, for sort of throwing it aside when it broke and that's the boss of that level and you've got to go for all these vacuum tubes. And the way, <laughs> the way it works is because you're the only characters really you're not running off and having different conversations with other people like you were in a way out. You're kind of bantering between the two characters the whole game, so it works better as a co-op thing in that way, I think. And it's just full of really imaginative... Like, it's so colourful, it's it's so imaginative and different and interesting. Like, after the, after the tool shed, you go to the tree in the garden, and it's got, like, these military squirrels living in it that give you a... <laughs> Uh, two guns and this is this is another good thing is you get the characters feel really distinct so in this sequence may gets a gun that shoots matches and sets fingers on fire mm. and cody gets a gun that shoots nectar or sap and the way you can work together is when you get attacked by a wasp or something for example if cody shoots it with sap and nectar it gets weighed down and the nectar's flammable so then if you shoot a match at it, it explodes so you can kind of combine your weapons to be more powerful, if that makes sense, and you can burn down structures to get through the level and things. So it kind of feels like a true cooperative experience where you're each given a kind of... And in the tool shed, one of you gets a hammer, one of you gets nails that you can throw, so you have to kind of work together to solve puzzles. Um, we've just done a level where you go through the bedroom, and that's incredibly colourful because you're interacting with all these different toys. It's awesome. So we haven't finished that yet, but It Takes Two is incredible, and everything that the follow-up to Brothers A Tale of Two Sons should be and uh, for me, a way out was hopefully just a blip on this developer's radar because um, 
yeah, I'd really, really recommend if you can find a friend to play it with, It Takes Two is really good. And they do a good thing where if one person buys the game, they can get like a friend pass to allow somebody else to download the game for free so that they can play it together, if you see what I mean. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, um, they've, they've done quite a good job of making it accessible to people. So that's really cool. Uh, it Takes Two is a big recommendation. Then I've got some films to talk about. I watched a movie on Netflix last week called Run. Have you heard of Run? Yes. Yes. From you? Yeah, probably from me. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> I think you talked about it to me. Yeah. It's a film um, directed by... Da, 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 da. It's directed by Anish Chaganti, and I think it's his second film. And his first film was a movie called Searching that came out a few years ago, and that's a film that stars... John Cho as a father who's looking for his missing daughter. And that film's mm. told entirely through his laptop screen and, and Skype conversations and stuff, which is quite cool. Um, a good film. Run is a more traditional movie, but it stars Sarah Paulson as a mother and Kira Allen as her teenage daughter, who is um, wheelchair-bound, uses a wheelchair for mobility, and um, has a variety of conditions like diabetes and asthma and things, and is quite sickly. So is homeschooled, lives at home, and looked after by the mum. And the film is basically a big homage to Misery, where the daughter starts to suspect that the mum isn't as loving and caring as she makes out to be, if you see what I mean. Mm. Uh, And it's really, really tense and obviously quite... um, What's the word? You know, it's that's quite a that's quite an intense situation to put on the screen, is a a daughter who ends up afraid of her mother, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So... It works on that level. And also, the actor who plays the daughter, Kira Allen, uses a wheelchair for mobility in real life. She was diagnosed with MS, I think, when she was 14, I think I read on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, sorry, since 2014, she's, yeah, she's used a wheelchair for mobility because she was diagnosed with MS. And uh, it's the first time, according to IMDb or something, that a thriller movie has starred a female actor that uses a wheelchair since 1948, which is a very long time. Yeah, so it's good It's good that the directors and the producers of this movie made the effort to cast somebody in that role who, you know, can actually... And the scenes where she's not in the wheelchair and she's having to sort of drag herself along and you can really sense, you know, the actress is able to really convey, obviously, what that would be like because she's, you know, she's really genuinely doing it and it's incredibly... You know, there's there's the classic thriller scenes of she's trying to do something upstairs while the mum's downstairs and she's constantly worried the mum's going to come upstairs and find her. And it's really, you know, it's brilliant. It's really good. I would recommend this film really, really um, strongly. I think I gave it four stars. And it's just it's just a good thriller with mm. a great cast. Kira Allen, I hope, can continue acting and turn up in lots more films because she's really, really good in this movie. Obviously, Sarah Paulson has, like, made a career out of playing slightly unsettling people so uh <laughs> fantastic stuff i loved it i really liked it so awesome. run is a big recommendation for me it's amazing uh, how like we 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 take for granted actors and actresses like if somebody has got some you know um disability they don't necessarily think that their a job could be an actor or an act like an actor yeah and it's crazy to think that because well it's it's crazy, it's crazy, isn't it? Because actors are supposed to uh, represent real life, you know, films, yeah. 
kind of. And the fact that there hasn't been anyone since 1948, that means that people with disabilities haven't even considered the job, which is ridiculous. I never yeah, thought although about that, it is couching it in quite a specific thing of like starring in a thriller. So I imagine there's been movies featuring actors in wheelchairs since, if you see what I mean. But it's definitely yeah. But how how often for... have you? But if you think about all the films you watched, how how often have you seen an actor in a wheelchair? Yeah, definitely with a not disability. Very often. So it's good for representation yeah. that this movie has done this, and I hope yeah. that she's really good in it. Hopefully, she mm. gets more recognition and you know can find more roles and continue working because she's she's really yeah. good. Um, and get to like, uh, yeah, because you are you are right. Like acting should be open to anyone, and film roles shouldn't be. And also, no, well, if you if you use a wheelchair for mobility, obviously you need to play characters that use wheelchairs. But yeah. if you think about an actor like Peter Dinklage, who do you know, Peter Dinklage? Oh, I don't know. He plays Tyrion Lannister in um, uh, Game of Thrones, and he's a short man, short person. I don't know what the correct term Link. is. Yeah. But he is, you know, he plays a dwarf in Game of Thrones. He's described as a dwarf in Game of Thrones. He's a very mm. short actor. But now he's become, you know, he's very, very successful. He's a very popular actor. And in recent movies, like he was in an X-Men film. He was in um, I Care A Lot that I watched recently and talked about. What else has he mm. been in? There's something else. So he's in. He was in Avengers: um, Infinity War. He plays the guy that makes the axe in Infinity War. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And in films like, for example, X Men: Apocalypse, I think is the one he's in. And is it Days of Future? No, I think it's Days of Future Past. X Men: Days of Future Past. And I care a lot. He plays characters where no reference at all is made to the fact that he's he's short, or like no reference is made to his height at all. And I mm. think that's really good for representation as well as that there are actors who. There are starting to be actors who are being cast in roles that don't highlight their physical disability that you can see, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, that can start to become more and more prevalent. And mm. yeah, it, and it can be a profession that's open to, to as many people as possible. So next, I watched a movie on Amazon Video that I've wanted to watch for ages since I think 2019, maybe at the Sundance Film Festival. It made headlines because it was the biggest ever sale. I think it sold at the Sundance Film Festival for like $17.5 million or something huge. So um, it's been a long time coming and finally it's hit the UK on Amazon Prime Video and it is an Andy Samberg movie called Palm Springs. Have you heard of Palm Springs? Yes, you told me about it and I watched it too. Oh, you did? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. We can talk about it then. Yeah. So yeah. Palm, Palm Springs is a movie starring Andy Samberg as Niles and Kristin yeah. Milioti as Sarah, two guests at a wedding in, I guess, Palm Springs in America. And um, it's basically a romantic comedy with a twist of there being a time loop involved in a la Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. One of the other big recent time loop films. Oh, Happy Death Day. Mm. They're, they're big, big, big business time loop movies for some reason. So, yeah, basically, Andy Samberg's character, Niles, is um, trapped in this time loop where he is reliving this wedding every day and can't escape. And uh, he accidentally gets uh, Christy Milioti's character, Sarah, involved in the time loop as well. And the movie is mm. about their attempts to break out. What did you think of it? Um. Well, what, what, just what, what are the perfect timing 
to be in a time loop, like a wedding with, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, with everybody there, all the food, all the booze, you know, it's like, you know, weddings are quite fun if you're not, you know, they look fun. Um, that's Andy Samberg's take on it, is definitely in the film. Yeah, and I think that's that's good. Um, I I I really I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, there were some really funny moments, um, uh, because you know they're in a loop. You know uh, they test different things out. Like there's a moment where they're driving and she falls off the car. I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah. Um, it's funny, but not in a in a very intelligent way. In a way. Yeah, yeah, it's in quite a a charming way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and and the chemistry between Andy Samberg and um, what's the name? Christine, Christine Miliotti. and Miliotti is really nice. It kind of grows yeah. throughout the film, and it kind of like it's them like them growing and by and and their friendship grows, and they have more fun, and they seem to be happy in in there. But you know, there's also she wakes up to a reality that she doesn't want to wake up to every morning. So yeah. she kind of wants to change it. So, you know, both of them kind of, but even, even, even Andy Samberg's character wakes up in a reality that someone really wake up to his girlfriend, Misty, who seems like a nightmare. Yeah. But he's just like sort the, of become acclimatized almost, hasn't he, in a way where she yeah, hasn't yet. Yeah. What I liked is this doesn't really explain what is wrong with their relationship uh with um you know uh Misty and Niles relationship like where did it go wrong that that doesn't really explain it like everything that's happening is happening in the time loop mm. yeah yeah what did you think of the film uh, I really enjoyed it I liked it a lot it's a very good sort of hungover on a Sunday morning kind of movie like I could see myself putting it on again when I just want something that I can watch without too much like it's yeah. a very charming film yeah. And the humor's the humor's very kind of pleasant and gentle. It's not kind of gross out humor in any way. It's it's just sort of quite funny and witty and works on the charm of its leads. And you know, Andy Samberg, if anyone's watched Brooklyn Nine Nine or anything else has been in, he's like, you know, one of the most kind of effortlessly funny and charming actors yeah. around. Christine Milioti is brilliant. She's been referred to for too long as the mother from How I Met Your Mother, because that was oh. kind of her first big role. Um, yeah. but she's proven, I think in certain, like she was in an episode of black mirror that she's fantastic in, like she has mm. range and she's, she's great. And she's very, very funny and very, very, you know, charming talented. So she's really good in the movie as well. And the two of them together, it just works. There's lots of really great scenes of those two together. He's not in it much, but you've got the incredible JK Simmons just turning <laughs> up every, so every so often to just be absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. as another person that's involved in the time loop. And it's just great, and it kind of it 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 doesn't feel the need to maybe explain itself too much. No, it's got some really interesting kind of ambiguous bits and pieces in there that kind of leave you even by the end you're still not quite sure what you've seen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's lovely. It's a really good film. It's on. I think it's probably available now to most people. I think in America it's on Hulu and it's been out for a while. It's just turned mm. up in the UK and I assume in in Italy. In Italy, yeah. So. Uh, it should be quite accessible, quite watchable. It's only about 90 minutes long. It's perfect length for, for mm. a comedy. And yeah, yeah I, I think people should definitely check it out. It's a, it's a great film. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it doesn't have to explain itself, is that's, that's a really good point, actually, because you don't even know by the end if, what, what's happened, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you don't need to, do you? It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, you don't. It's just they're, and they're, they're together and they 
happy and they're cool. They're cool yeah. kids. Yeah, definitely. I love it. So that's that's cool. That's my that's my film. Then I've got a special little uh, ranking for you, Alex, especially for you, because I finished my rewatch of the Saw films. Okay. So I think I'd watched the first two last time we spoke. Yeah. Uh, but now I've watched all eight uh, in preparation wow. for Spiral, the ninth film that's coming out in May. So um, I'm ready to just give a quick ranking, in my opinion, of the Saw movies. So at number eight, yeah. we've got Saw 5, by far the worst Saw movie. It focuses entirely on Hoffman. Anyone who, who's familiar with the Saw mythology knows who I'm talking about. And uh, he becomes obsessed with explaining how Hoffman got involved in becoming a jigsaw apprentice. And frankly, Costas Mandalore, who plays Hoffman, should not be allowed in front of a camera ever again. The man has got no charisma. <laughs> And in fact, the Saw movies have this obsession with like, like they got an incredible actor in, in Tobin Bell to play Jigsaw and he's so charismatic and charming and weird on screen and he really works. And then when they start casting people to be his apprentices, they just get obsessed with these kind of doughy bros and Hoffman is the first and the worst of them. And um, <laughs> he's just rubbish. And yeah, so Saw 5 is pretty weak for that. And it's even though it features the great Julie Benz who played Darla in Buffy, it still just doesn't uh, doesn't stack up. Then at seven, Saw 3D, the final chapter, which was at the time the last Saw movie. It was because they did Saw and it was such a big success. They then released one movie every year until Saw 3D, the final chapter, and that was the last annual instalment. Um, it's kind of it, the problem. My problem with Saw 3D is it's too glossy. It opens with a trap that is so over the top and, and it doesn't look like anything else I've ever done in a Saw movie. It's happening outside in broad daylight in this kind of glass cage and people are watching. And I really thought it was going to be, um, like, for example, in Scream, from Scream 2 onwards, there's like a fictional film franchise within that world called Stab and it's meant to be like almost a parody of Scream itself, if you see what I mean. I thought Saw was doing that the first time I watched Saw 3D because this trap seemed like such a kind of ridiculous thing that wouldn't exist in a Saw movie. But no, it was real. It's part of the film. And they bring back Carrie Elwes and do nothing with him. The lead person that's going through the traps in Saw 3D is Sean Patrick Flannery, who plays one of the Boondock Saints, which I think I talked a while ago about how much I hate that film. So yeah, Saw 3D doesn't do much for me. Then at number six, Jigsaw, the 2017 kind of reboot of the franchise where they brought it back after like a six-year break. Um, it's just too... Again, it's got this obsession with a, a doughy bro that it brings in uh, to get involved in it, and it's just got no charisma. It's it, it, it tries to be a bit too clever with its twists and just ends up not really making sense. Like there's a flat-screen TV... Um, in a scene that so turns out is meant to be taking place in like 2002 or something, which just doesn't doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, and it's a bit too glossy. It's a bit too like they've 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 reduced the gore to try and make it a bit funnier, and it just doesn't quite yeah. the tone doesn't work really for a saw movie. But it's okay. It's got some fun traps and some fun visuals and stuff, and it, it it's decent enough. But I think ultimately it's just not ambitious enough for the film that was meant to bring the franchise back and i hope that spiral corrects that and is you know the fact that samuel jackson and chris rocker in spiral kind of shows that they've upped their ambition levels so hopefully we'll see something interesting then at five we've got saw three which is one of the ones where you get the most tobin bell which is good but it's also almost two hours long which is a cardinal sin for a saw movie the rest of them are all about 90 minutes and that's the perfect length 
So four is uh, in at number four, and I don't have too much to say about that other than it's got some good traps and it's perfectly, it's fairly serviceable. At number three, I've got Saw 2, which is a bit of an outlier. It doesn't feel like any of the other sequels. It's about these people going through a house, trying to solve various traps together, um, which is cool. Donnie Wahlberg is in it as Detective Matthews, and he's got at least some kind of presence on screen, which is definitely lacking for some of the other people. Um and it, yes, yeah, and you get probably the most Tobin Bell you get in any of the films is in Saw 2, which is cool. Uh, in at number two, the best of the sequels is Saw 6, mm-hmm. which is um, one where they try to get a bit political and go in on, on the American healthcare system, and it does pay off quite well. Like the lead guy going through the traps is a person who is, who is like the head of a medical insurance company who's denied Jigsaw insurance medical insurance and he's kind of torturing him for being so heartless with uh with that kind of stuff which is you know quite effective and they should have tried that in other films as well making the you know giving some actual kind of weight to the victims but they didn't but saw six is good and then in at number one is obviously the best in the first of them saw one which again is like a seven style thriller and not the kind of gore fest that the rest of the films became and is a really good little low budget thriller movie and there is my ranking of the Saw films. I hope wow. you enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. Did you? Are you going to watch any of them? No. No. <laughs> no way. There's no way I'm going to watch people being trapped in places of getting, I don't know, tortured? Is that what happens? Yeah, sort of broadly tortured. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think so. Like, you don't want to see a man with his head stuck in a, a see-through cube that's filling water like in the No Surprises video? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. What about what about a man who's <laughs> been glued to a car seat and unless he can pull himself off the car seat and stop the car, it's going to crush another person's head? Mm, no. no. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so the ranking was. <laughs> I don't know. No. All right. Um, that's all my culture catch up. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. What have you got? Very, very nice. Uh, what I've got. Okay, so I watched Palm Springs, uh, which I thought was brilliant. And we just talked about it. You know, good, good movie. Watch it. Yeah. It's on Prime. Uh, and then um, I watched a 2019 uh, film called Britney Runs a Marathon. Mm. And it stars uh, Gillian Bell, which uh, she's a she's a comedian. Yeah. And it's about uh, Brittany, who uh, lives in uh, New York, and she um, she's employed in a theatre, kind of dead end job. And um, her she lives with uh, with her roommate uh, Gretchen, who is a teacher's assistant and obsessed with uh, social media, and um, and her boyfriend. And um, they they have fun. They go to parties. They they take drugs. And uh, one day she goes to her a doctor, and she. <laughs> it's funny. Julian uh, Julian uh, Bell is really funny. She's one of those kind of like really dry funny. Yeah. And uh, so she just says, "Oh, uh, she. I I feel very tired, and my friend has had the same. I think she's been taking Adderall." And the doctor says, oh, you know, usually people take that as a, you know, recreationally. It's like, really? And it's just how she (laughs) does things. It's really fun. And um, he then tells her that she's kind of um, 
she has to lose weight because uh, her weight could uh, spiral into something more. Yeah. And then and then uh, she decides uh, to uh, run a marathon and um, she finds uh, friends to do it with. And it kind of it, the film is about her from the start when she tries to kind of like run for the first time. And then until she manages finally to make the mar- uh, run the marathon, uh, like this, this film could go wrong in so many ways, you know, because we're talking about a, a, a doctor telling a girl to lose weight, yeah. and it 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 does not. It's it's a brilliant film for me because it does not stop at that. Like the weight is not the problem; it's how Brittany is. That is the problem in the yeah. sense of like Britney doesn't feel um, that uh, she can be successful. Uh, Britney doesn't feel like she can, uh, you know, I think she's, she's like a, in a downward spiral. And yeah. I think the weight adds to that. And that's, yeah. and that's the thing. Yeah. And, and then um, even after she loses weight, the problems, her emotional problems are still there. So the film is not about losing weight, but the film is about um, sorting your life out and knowing that whatever size, shape, uh, job you have, you you need to first focus on yourself and and then all the rest will come. (laughs) And I, I thought it was really good because you know there's so many films about like uh you, you know a woman that has to become more beautiful but this is not a film about that yeah. and at the beginning i was a bit skeptical that it might be but yeah. it's more about that it's more about um how what kind of society we live in yeah. uh what we accept how judgmental we are of ourselves and and when we judge ourselves in a certain way then we judge other people the same way and there's there's a really interesting scene after like she loses loads of weight and then she talks to a, a girl and she judges her like she would judge herself. Yeah. But nobody else is judging her. So we are the worst people to judge of the people because we judge first ourselves and then we 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 put what we put on ourselves on other people. Mm. It's funny. It's got some good uh, fiery characters. Um, Michaela Watkins is in it. She's um, she's been been in Saturday Night Live. And um, I've seen it often, but never really. Um, like you, see, if you see her, you know who she is. But I yeah. think I've seen it in Saturday Night Live and some other things. But okay, oh, I think I recognise her. Yeah, she's turned up in loads of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, but you, you, I can't really pinpoint where I've seen her mostly. But I think it was Saturday Night Live, and then her love interest Utkarsh and. Car. Um, he he's uh, real fun in this film. I really like him, and they've got a really good chemistry. And it's it's a uh, it's really really good. I like it. I think uh, it's an enjoyable film, oh, especially good. if if as a well as society think even boys my and men can be related. Like you know the the pressure of how a body image and body weight is pretty big. Yeah. I think in on it women is. quite a lot, but I think men as well, but don't admit it. And I think it's quite good to kind of have a more refreshing, um, a more realistic and refreshing view on how exactly we are. But yeah, 
Moving on. <laughs> uh, the next film I watched uh, is a film from 2020 uh, starring uh, my new favorite actress, Anya Taylor-Joy. <sighs> and the film is Emma. Oh, you watched Emma. Okay. Yeah, I watched Emma. So Emma is a film based on Jane Austen's 1815 novel, uh, which is called Emma. And uh, Emma, um, Anya Taylor-Joy plays Emma, who uh, is uh, Emma Woodhouse. And she's a very wealthy uh, young woman uh, that lives with her father in um, Regency-era England. Mm. Um, She is uh, maybe the queen bee. She's very spoiled. Uh, Nobody's ever said no to her. Uh, She loves matchmaking uh, and meddling in romances. And um, and then, yeah, and... uh, she creates chaos and uh, sufferance. And um, uh, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I read the book many years ago. And then I was very excited when 1996 Gwyneth Paltrow played Emma. It was very disappointing, her portrayal of Emma, because it was too lovely and sweet. Emma is not lovely and sweet. She's a little devil. Right. Uh, because uh, that's, that's what she was. And... Um, uh, uh, Jane Austen in Jane Austen's book she always made fun it was a satire against the uh, social class and uh, against kind of like the bourgeoisie the, the 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 ruling class in England and and I love that because it's just an interesting way to like uh, uh, you know an author at that age kind of making fun of this and it, it's a funny book and the 1996 version was not funny and and Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, she's she was great, but not great. But this was fantastic. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Anya Taylor Joy as Emma is perfect. Uh, there's uh, it shows the this the ridiculousness of certain rules during that era. Yeah. The the frustration of people not being able to talk to each other properly about things face to face. You can like say things and you can see the frustration and um, it, the cast is great. There's Anya Taylor-Joy. Then there's um, two actors from Sex Education. Oh, really? And uh, they are uh, Tanya uh, Reynolds, who plays Lily. Do you remember Lily? Uh, the, the the one that likes the the, the tentacles yeah, yeah yeah the tentacles yeah and then Connor Ryan Swindles who plays uh who plays Adam he plays uh the the principal's son oh right yeah 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 okay. and then Mia Goth I know that name she used to be she was in uh, an infomaniac and uh, she was married. And got an original from Shia LaBeouf. Oh. <laughs> uh, Miranda Hart, Bill Nye. Miranda Hart? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, she's perfect for the role. She's perfect for the role. Uh, Is she uh, in it? A, a little bit, yeah. But she, uh, she plays... Um, Mrs. Bates, who's a very, who's a, who's a woman that t- talks a little bit too much and she lost all of her wealth. And Emma kind of, at one point, there's a scene where you go, 
oh, where she's very bad, Emma, against Mrs. Bates. And you just go, oh, my God, I'm going to... I don't know. I, I love the book. I love the fact that they represented the the in a, such a good way. Um, the director is her... Is her um, uh, it's her directorial debut so and it, it looks beautiful as well as a film is a really really good well-made film and I think it just um, portrays the book really well and how the time was and the frustration that people had uh, not being able to communicate and I really really enjoyed it so if you if you are interested watch it it's great what about the scene where she makes her nosebleed on cue? Did she make it? What? Apparently she's eight, she, she, she she realised when they were filming that scene that she can just make her nosebleed on your Taylor-Joy. I was reading. That scene is so much fun. Is it? It's just like... <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because um, uh, her and Emma and Mr Knightley are really frustrated because I think they really, really like each other. Yeah. And the frustration is there. And then her nose starts bleeding and you go, oh, my God. It's just so, it's so brilliant. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I love the book. And no, uh, I really want to see it. I've heard it's really good. And I, you know, I love Annie Taylor-Joy. So, mm. yeah, the costumes are great. It's, it's just a good, good adaptation. And I think it's one of the best adaptations of uh, Jane Austen's novel. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, well, the the Pride and Prejudice series in 1919, whatever, that was pretty good as well. But I thought this was great. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I watched a documentary, uh, our Amazon uh, documentary called One Child Nation, a okay. uh, 2019 documentary. Have you heard of it? No. Uh, so it's a film uh, directed by Nanfu Wang, which apparently has made loads of documentaries. So I'm going to check out because mm. this this one was great, and is about um, the one child uh, China's one child policy that mm. uh, lasted. I didn't realize from 1979 to 2015. Yeah, like that's a crazy amount of time. Yeah. And um, this it, this film has this documentary has had loads of awards, and I understand why because when when you think about your your country, I never thought about the one child policy as being anything but people just having one child. I don't know why. That's that's all I thought about. No, there's because loads of th- side effects of but, it, isn't there? But but not just the side effects. How are you going to implement that? How are you going to implement that? And the way they implemented one child policy was insane. Female sterilization, abortions, ab- abandoning children, yeah. like crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But that's the thing. Me as a me as being an outsider, and she uh, first of all, she did um she the both um her and the other person that directed this um documentary, uh Jeling Zhang, they both were born in the 1980s. And that's when the, you know, that's when it started. So it was the hardest time to implement this. And they never thought about it as a bad thing until they left. And then they realized what people had to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what the people 
of that time in China had to go through and the women had to go through. And all they could say was, we had no choice. And it's amazing. It's incredible how so much propaganda and so much power from your state just completely crashes the people that live in it. And they say, we had no choice. (sighs) I, 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 I really enjoyed this documentary because it, it's trying not to be biased. She's annoyed about it because so many of her family that she didn't realize had to give up babies. And um, I think her mom got sterilized and and she was trying to, but then, it, but then it's not their fault. If yeah. you have a government that is so strong. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes the and, most damning thing can just be to state the facts without any, um, you know, bias or flavor yeah. to it and let people make up yeah. their minds yeah and i i i thought and there was one line that was really interesting that at the end she's like you know i come from a place where women uh were uh, the government was deciding for women to get abortions and now i live in a country where the government is trying to decide uh, is trying to choose the women not to abort and she says at the end of the day they're just trying to control women's bodies. And it's so true, isn't it? Like, you can't, like, if you're from America, you cannot say, oh, well, you know, China this, because you're doing the same thing, but yeah. they're the opposite. Like, you're not, you're not letting a choice. So I thought, I thought it was interesting. It's a, um, it was, uh, it's good. It's a good, good documentary. I was uh, very impressed yeah, with the things I watched good. this week. What, where did you watch that yeah. documentary? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Interesting. I remember mm. learning about that in school in geography and just thinking it was a bad idea. I don't know. I just I remember What? But that's me too. I've always thought it was weird, but I never knew how they implemented it. See that's it, because I remember when I learned about it in school, I learned about it with the context of and then it's resulted in, in, in baby girls dying and being thrown away and stuff. So I Yeah. Yeah. When I learned about it, I learned the context of Mm. Well, the, the 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 negative side effects, I guess, or the negative effects even yeah. uh, of implementing such a yeah. policy. Like, it's not as simple mm. as just saying everyone have one baby. People are going to inevitably have more than one baby, and then what happens? And people are going to want boys and not girls because they're they're ridiculous. And, the, but the, because they're being brainwashed, they're having a boy is better, but yeah. boys cannot make babies. So <laughs> you want? Yeah, you need oh, you need a bit of an even split, really, if you want to continue a popular. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I yeah. What 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 else? Uh, what else? What else? Uh, so um, I watched a YouTube video that I'm going to show you later. Okay. Uh, for our beautiful YouTube video uh, section. It's Is called MyTube. Thank you very much. MyTube. Sorry for MyTube. And because I watched this YouTube video, I listened finally two two years late uh, to Fine Line, the album by Harry Styles. Oh, okay. Have you listened to it? No. Okay. Well, me neither. I was like, I'm not. I, I wasn't. I was like, what? what? But then I watched this YouTube video. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Huh. Okay. I'll have a listen. And so I listened to Fine Line, which is uh, Harry Styles' second studio album, and which was released in uh, December uh 2019 so nearly two years ago i can't believe yeah. 2019 was two years ago that's crazy like this yesterday. covid stuff has and um i really enjoyed that album oh his voice has changed a lot since the, the 
the era of One Direction. That's what makes and you it's beautiful. very and it's yeah, and it's very like deep and kind of uh rusky rust I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. And um I think it's all, I think it's inspired by a breakup. I think a lot of, uh, I think he broke up from his girlfriend and he wrote loads of lyrics. In fact, there's loads of lyrics about, um, you know, her calling a baby somebody else. But I thought it was really, really good. And it's got some really good tunes. If, uh, I don't know, if you have, if you have like a moment, George, I think you should try and listen to it because you, you might like it. Okay. Could I, could I, could I say that? You yeah. might like it. Maybe. I'm sure Maybe. that I've listened to that watermelon. Is it called Watermelon Sugar? Yeah, yeah. Watermelon Sugar. Ha. Watermelon Sugar. Ha. Yeah. Yeah. I That's not like the that best song. song, though. Okay. Good. <laughs> but uh, you're going to, uh, yeah, you're going to listen to probably a rendition of that song in a second. Oh, okay, good. That's great. <laughs> Cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it for me for my cultura ketchup. Cacciapo di cultura. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> right. Well, let's do my tube then. Okay, can I send you two videos? You, you, yeah, if you want to. Okay, one is Harry Styles, which I just said. Cool. Which I thought was good. And it's, uh, so the first video I'm going to show you is Harry Styles uh, at the Grammys from this year. Okay, so I'm looking at a YouTube video. It's loading. It's called... Harry Styles, full HQ, live perform. <laughs> George, you don't need to read everything. I do. There's a Tropicana advert first. Harry Styles, full high quality live performance at the Grammys, at the hashtag Grammys. He does have a much deeper voice than he used to. Yeah. He's wearing a sort of... I, I don't know about what he's wearing. I think it looks, it's like a dragon's tail. Yes. <laughs> or like a big rat. Like, it looks like he's having a great time. He does. Think, yeah. Looks like a man. When, when people, when, well, I feel like when people have a good time with their music, I really enjoy them. Because I feel yeah. like they really believe in their music. And I was like, oh, I respect you. He's taken off the weird feather boa thing. Yeah. Oh, he's dancing. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> I know. Okay. 
It's fun, isn't it? It is reasonably fun. Like, I feel like he just loves doing what he does. He just looks so happy. And then you'll see Be Billy in a second. And if Billy likes him, I like him. <laughs> <laughs> what? And he's just, he's just really enjoying it, isn't he? It's good. Yeah, he's loving it. Yeah, that was that was a good performance. I still don't totally yeah. know about the song for me, but it was that was a good performance. Hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought, oh, you might enjoy it. And I'll probably go and listen to that song again to see. So, what's next? The next one is this artist called. Um, I don't know anything about the artist. I only saw it the other day on on YouTube, but okay. she's called Ashiniko. Okay. Um, and the song is Daisy, but. She is in this video. She features um, a Atsune Miku, which is a voc vocaloid. A vocaloid. A vocaloid. I know Atsune Miku. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So, uh, so she's a vocaloid. Vocaloid are these um, uh, artists in uh, in Japan, but they're not real artists. They're like uh, they're computer generated uh, people yeah. uh, that uh, so the, the 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 actual computer generated person is famous not the person that's creating the voice yeah well so, i think the voice is entirely artificial there's no actual is, human is the voice, voice artificial as well that's my understanding of it and then the songwriters obviously writing the songs but i don't think there's anyone singing who is hatsune miku i think it's a totally artificial that's my understanding i might be wrong but that's what i Maybe led to believe, but yeah, I I th I think is bonkers. But I never seen a Vocaloid. Um, what well, I think they might have done it before, but that was the first time, and I saved the video for you. A I Vocaloid, uh, big one, du yeah. yeah, duetting with a real person. Yeah, but yeah, the real person is also in uh, like in Vocaloid form. Interesting. I mean, it's a bit like Gorillas, but I guess that with Gorillas, it is Damon Albarn singing, and then they've just done animated yeah. music videos effectively. But with yeah. a Vocaloid, I do I think it is an AI sort of algorithm that's producing the actual vocals, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've sent it to you now. So this the video I'm showing George is Ashiniko, which is, I think she's an American artist. Uh, Daisy, the song is Daisy, and it features Atsune Miku, who is a vocaloid. Have you pressed play? I'm uh, playing now. It's just started. You show me weird stuff. I show you weird stuff. I mean, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, who is this? Who's Ash Nico? She's an artist. I think she came out last year. I don't know. I've only I saw her on Jimmy Fallon, and so right. I went to check. Um, I check on YouTube, and I found this video. It's like, oh, George is gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. Is she American? Um, I think so. Interesting. Wonder how she came to like collaborate with Hatsune Miku. Yeah, I don't know. She probably went. Can I do it with you, Hatsune Miku? Like to the people that created. They're like, yeah. Why not? Why not? Oh, her album covers just shown up on my screen and I recognize that. I think I've seen fascinating. That was pretty good. Yeah, that's my tube selection for the week. Nice. I hope you enjoyed it. And I know you don't like uh Jimmy Fallon. 
I know it's on Jimmy Kimmel, not Jimmy Fallon. So, yeah, she performs this song in uh, on Jimmy Kimmel. Interesting. I might have to check that out as well. And it's a bizarre performance, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Can I can I share my tube with you? Do we have time? Yeah, if you want. Uh, it's okay. It's Wolf Alice, the last man on earth, and it's their live on later performance. So the the video is called Wolf Alice, the last man on earth, live on later, and it's uploaded by BBC Music. Ah, later with Jules Holland. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got it. Cool. Shall I press play? Press play, please. See what you think of this. <laughs> it's just social distance, isn't it? It's like. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So that's they're not doing it in the studio, the, the Jules Holland studio at the moment. I think the bands are sort of making their own things, mm. which makes it a bit better in some ways. I think they have a bit more freedom to try stuff out. Yeah, I didn't realize that the front woman, front person, was a woman, but yeah. she did. The band is called Wolf Alice. Exactly. I don't think she's called Alice though. Or does she? I don't oh, know. she's called Ellie. But Wolf Ellie doesn't sound very good, does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> her voice though that sounds good it's amazing is it a band or is it just her no it's a band they're a band you'll you'll see just because it's so far apart yeah <laughs> it just seems like they're their backings <laughs> see I'd never listened to Wolf Alice and I was not expecting this at all <laughs> wow her voice is crazy mm. wow The bit where the bit where the rest of the band comes in gives me goosebumps in that video. Goosebumps, yes, yes, very good. I enjoyed it. Did you? Yeah. Was it good? Yeah, yeah. It was cool. good, very good. That would nice. that would have been in my top five uh, YouTube performance, I think, if it had come out when we did that. I really like it. Well, we should do it again. Top five, top five YouTube performance 2022. Yeah, we'll do it again in the future because it, uh, it's always new YouTube performances. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Homework time. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now. Uh, top five 80s bands last week. So we did... Um, uh, I had to listen to the album Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This by The Eurythmics and you had to listen to Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads. So I'll start. I sat down and listened to uh, that Eurythmics album, Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. It was released in 1983, in January, um, by the Eurythmics, the sort of synth pop new wave band um, that we talked mm. about last week that you really like. And I'd never listened to a full album before by... <clears throat> Eurythmics, but obviously I know the song Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This because it's kind of one of those, you know, everyone's heard that song over and over again and because it's wonderful. So it was interesting to hear the album and that song's almost like a bit of an outlier on the album itself because it, mm. the rest of it's a bit sort of moodier, isn't it, and darker. Yeah, definitely. And then that song, <laughs> as soon as that song starts, it almost takes you out of the album because you're like, oh, it's this, it's Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. Um yeah. But I was quite pleasantly... Because it's so famous, though. I think because you'd heard it so many times. You don't expect it to be in that album. Yeah. Your voice has gone odd. Have you done something? No. You, you, sound, you sound very ah. echoey. 
Can you hear me better now? Uh, yes. You were in my jumper. No, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you've heard that song so many times, it's interesting to hear the other songs. And it kind of, it does that thing, as it happens occasionally, where the album is an odd listen, because it's got, in the middle of it, it's got this thing that doesn't sound like it's part of the album, because you're so used to hearing mm. it elsewhere but i was pretty pleasantly surprised by the rest of the album especially the second half after sweet dreams are made of this there's some really moody pieces on there there's mm. a song called jennifer uh, that i really liked that gets quite almost yeah um it, it kind of almost you can see a sort of lineage between this album and the first nine inch nails album uh mm. that trent Reznor did uh, the uh, pretty hate machine album it's got a lot of synth pop sounds on it and when this album gets a bit darker and Annie Lennox gets a bit kind of more loud with her vocals, it starts to move towards, you can kind of see how this music sort of evolved into what Trent Reznor started doing at the end of the 80s into the 90s, which is uh, really interesting for me to hear where that came from. Uh, this Is The House is a really good song as well. Um, but yeah, definitely, I really liked it. Um, and in particular, I liked how much moodier and darker it was than what I assumed it was going to be based on the, the song Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. Uh, it was a bit more kind of, I don't know, subtle than that, which is, uh, which is nice. So, yeah, I liked it. A good listen. Yeah. I, think, I think they managed to attract the audience because they didn't have the audience in their first album. And I think with the song Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This, they managed to attract the audience to kind of like... Sustain themselves. Uh, listen to, yeah, and just to kind of listen to their album. But yeah, no, I'm, gl I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because, like, people, you know, you know Eurythmics from, you know, just that song and maybe a couple more, but there, there's some there's some good songs in the album. Yeah, in particular, I don't know, Jennifer, I don't know why quite why it stuck with me, but Jennifer was a really good song. Mm. Uh, so I'd recommend that one to, to people. And just the album generally, yeah, it's cool. It's quite dark. I don't know, to me it felt really kind of dark and moody, which I liked mm. and wasn't expecting, mm. so it was cool. So, yeah, thank you. It was good listen. Good. Fantastic. I'm glad. Uh, and from your 1980s pick, I was supposed to, I, no, I listen, I, you asked me to listen to uh, Stop Making Sense, which is um, live performance by Talking Heads. Yeah. Was that the name of the tour? Stop Making Sense? Um, or was that just a film? Sure. It might have just been the film. American concert film. Yeah, so, well, I listened to the album Stop Making Sense um, from 1984. And um, I it, it was funny because I'm glad you made me listen to a live album because yeah. I think, because I didn't really know that I knew quite a few songs by yeah. Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact they listened to them live and it was more fun. Yeah. Um, for example, the, the 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 album starts with Psycho Killer. Yeah. And the rendition of Psycho Killer is so much fun in this album. And I think if I had listened to it in a, in the in the actual album, in the studio album, I think I would have not enjoyed it so much. Because it was like, you know, I know Psycho Killer and then I know um and then I think I knew one in the middle, but I don't remember which one. And then Burning Down the House. So every couple of tracks I knew one of the tracks, tracks, yeah. and it was fun because I don't know. I, live, they're really good. They're they 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 because because I knew some of the songs. I've noticed how much they like change the song in the live performance. Yeah, it's kind of the same, 
but not it's not like Bob Dylan change, but like it's more kind of like this is the live. It has a uh, different, slightly different energy, doesn't it? Which, it, which yeah. you still recognise it as the song, unlike Bob Dylan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was like, ah. That, that <laughs> might mind. have been Maggie's uh, song, I don't know. Um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. And there's a lot of instrumental, uh, there's a lot of um, instrumental sections in the in the live album. Mm. And um I just thought it was really good, and I didn't realize I'd used so many Talking Head songs. How oh, do I, yeah. how do they I creep know? In. Well, yeah, and you go, what? This is Talking Heads, like burning down the house. Burning well, I think I know burning down the house. Didn't didn't um um, it wasn't there um. Tom Jones and the Cardigans did burning down the house. Yes, I think they did when he did that. He did that album of covers, didn't he? Yeah, and I think that's why I know Burning Down the House. I just remembered. Tom Jones and the Cardigans, yeah. And did you know but, uh, the song after that, Girlfriend is Better, is really good? Or Once in a mm, Lifetime, you might have known? Yeah. Take Me to the River. But I, I, I thought it was really, really good album. And live, they're really, really amazing. And uh, and I even even from us like listening to them, it just seemed like they were having a great time. Oh, definitely. And if you if you do get a chance to, you should watch the concert film itself because it is one of those iconic films. And the way it starts is great because it is just David Byrne walks out on stage on his own and he puts down like a cassette player. And that's what, in, mm. the, in the one you heard, he says, I've got a song I want to play. And he presses play on this cassette player and it starts that click track that he sings Psycho yeah. Killer to. Yeah. And then the yeah. rest of the band start to come in over and over until finally the full band is there ready for like the next track or whatever. It's really well done. And uh, as a visual it's performance, so it really works. So if you get a chance to, check it out. It's good. Cool. Good, times. good times. All around. All right. Shall we get into our top five then? Yeah. Yes, please. Five, four, three, two, one. Our top five. Okay. So our top five today is top five Cohen Brothers movies. And as we said up top, we've both left off the Big Lebowski just because we've Yeah. That's just overall one of our favourite films anyway. We don't it doesn't sort of it almost doesn't I mean it is a Cohen Brothers movie, but it doesn't come under the category in a, in an odd way. Just because of, you know, it's it's transcended almost. Anyway, so putting that aside, everything else was Anywho. on the table from Blood Simple all the yeah. way up to the what was the most recent one? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, which I I I just realised I haven't seen a few of them. Oh, there's a there's a there's a handful I've not seen. Mm. Um, I've never watched. Miller's like I haven't Crossing. seen the last two. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, have you not seen Hail Caesar? No. Which I don't know why I haven't seen it. Yeah, you should check it out. But um, I haven't seen the man who wasn't there. I haven't seen Miller's Crossing. I haven't seen. No. There's a, there's a handful that I've not seen. Um, partly because mm. I, I never like to watch the full filmography of a director I really like because I like to kind of have stuff left to discover, if that makes sense. Like there's a, mm. there's a couple of David Lynch movies I've never watched, which is I need to watch them at some point. But anyway, putting all that aside, these are the my five favourite ones of the ones I've seen. Okay. So at number five, I've got uh, an early one. I think it's their second film from 1987. It is... Stars one of my favorite actors of all time, Nicolas Cage, and it is the film <laughs> Raising Arizona. 
Yeah. Yeah, with Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter. Nicolas Cage plays a character improbably named H.I. or Hi. Holly Hunter plays his wife, yeah. Ed. And um, it's the tale of two people who steal a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Um, yeah. It's a cool movie because it's very like, I've seen people describe it as like a live action Looney Tunes cartoon almost. Like mm. Nicolas Cage is almost like he's playing Wiley Coyote or something in this movie. Like he's got this completely out of control haircut in the film. <laughs> and he does just look like a cartoon. And um, the film's plot to describe it, two people steal a baby because mm. they, um, what is it? A local businessman has like quintuplets, which is how many children is that? Four, eight? Five. Five, even. Mm. So they steal one of them because they're like, oh, they've got five. They don't need all five of them. And, and they find out but that Ed can't have children um, mm. and they can't adopt because uh, H.I. Is a, is a criminal. So, yeah, they steal one of these babies. And um, it could be an incredibly serious drama, but the Coen brothers intentionally set out to do, because um, especially in the early days, they seemed to like veer between doing very serious crime thrillers and then very, mm. very goofy screwball comedy mm. type movies. And Raising Arizona definitely falls into this kind of screwball comedy side. Um, and I like both sides happily, which is why I'm such a fan of their work. Um, and yeah, it's just, you've seen it, I assume, Alex? Nope. You've not seen Raising Arizona? No. What? I thought I had. Yeah. And maybe I have, but like a long, long time ago. Okay. But I watched the trailer today and I was like, I don't I have not seen this film. Oh, wow. I don't recognize anything. Well, it's. But uh, it looks fun. It is fun. And, you know, Nicolas Cage, <laughs> Holly Hunter are really good. Um, John Goodman is just awesome and, like, isn't awesome and everything. You've got William Forsyth's in there. Uh, Francis McDormand turns up, who uh, mm. we'll, we'll talk about Francis McDormand more today, I'm sure. But um, yeah. she's great <laughs> in, yeah. in everything she's ever done. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a really fun movie. I really, really like Raising Arizona. And obviously, Nicholas, I mean, I don't know how well Nicholas Cage and the Coen brothers got on behind the scenes because he never turned up again in any of their other work. But um, mm. yeah, and this is only their second film. Yeah. And. Mm. You know, they are very much of the type of director who like who, you know, every single thing that happens in the film is in their script. Like they don't do improvisation and stuff. Even scenes that feel improvised in some of their movies, everything is on the screen. Yeah. Um, like in uh, Fargo, William H. Macy's character does a lot of kind of stuttering and stammering and stuff, and apparently all of mm. those specific little mannerisms were in the script. Like there's no improv. And I think Nicolas Cage is an actor that likes to kind of be weird and try out different things so i'm not sure how well they probably that's probably might be why i never turned up in any of their other movies but for this one time it was great and i i love it so it's a good film raising arizona number five good so my number five uh my number five is uh the uh, 2009 uh uh cohen brothers film and is a black comedy uh, called a serious man. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't. I was looking at reviews. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to enjoy this film. But um, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're like for, well, So uh, the film is about uh, Larry Gopnik, uh, who is a physics professor in the 1960s, and um, it's basically a film where his life uh, just falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's just that, isn't it? His life falls apart. Uh, his uh, daughter steals money from him for a blowjob. Uh, for a blowjob. <laughs> what? His what? man, his his daughter steals money from him for a nose job. His son smokes a lot of pot, and his wife wants wife wants to divorce him. And uh, uh, nobody seems to want to help him. He's not getting anything in life. It's just, I don't know. It's just so, uh, in a way, like even the color of it is so bleak. Yeah. I think it's like funny, but like it shouldn't be funny because this guy is actually struggling. But the way that it's been made, it's got some like really funny moments in it. Yeah, I like, always remember um, there's a bit where he's like being rung by a company that sells cds or vinyls over the phone yeah. and they're just repeatedly mm. asking him if he wants this santana album and it's just the way the coen brothers write it and the yeah. way he's like no i don't want i can't even i can't exactly remember how it goes but that that scene sticks in my mind more than any other scene in the film because it's yeah. just this this way of their writing being so funny that uh what shouldn't be a funny situation at all is just turned into something hilarious sometimes quite cruelly and painfully hilarious but i just I just love a serious man. Yeah, it's got a great so much. ending as well, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, the ending is always in like I've saw in the last shots in a yeah, lot of them. Yeah, because it's so yeah. and it's 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 a great kind of. Won't spoil what it is, but it's it's great because it's so disconnected in a way from the rest of the film. Yeah, and it yeah. kind of break it. Just the whole theme of the movie is basically like bad things are going to happen to you, and you can't predict them, and you don't know when yeah. they're going to come. And the mo- the way the movie ends perfectly sort of encapsulates that, which is really cool. Um, yeah and uh yeah i just i just i just love it this and uh burn after reading for me were like the most kind of like ones that because they're all they're all kind of like in a tragic moment aren't they they're like both films are like in a kind of tragic yeah but they're just funny and just things spike like things spiraling out of control spiral out of control yeah Yeah. It's a, bit, yeah. it's a big theme and, for them in some of their films, and it's great. Yeah. It's just like spiral under control, and these people, and you're not supposed to laugh, but it's just hilarious. And it's just um, genius filmmaking. Yeah. It yeah. definitely it's feels like one quiet. of their more sort of, not disliked, but like almost forgotten movies. Like it doesn't seem to get the recognition. Yeah, but that's because I, that's, I think A Serious Man is the first one they put down because, out of The Big Lebowski. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is definitely one that I'm not supposed to forget. And then I was reading reviews like, but I love this film. And people were like, oh, you know, it's a bit dry. But I, I kept it anyway. I haven't I haven't uh, succumbed to reviews and stuff. And uh, yes. No, I think that's that's fair. And I love the trailer. I've watched the trailer again today because it's just so funny because in the trailer, he just like talks and talks and talks about what's going on. And then at the end of the trailer, this lady stands up. And then goes to the rabbi, and the rabbi is doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> and she comes back, is like, the rabbi is busy. <laughs> yes, I'm... he's doing nothing. <laughs> he's busy thinking. It's just like <laughs> just an when a trip is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, cool. Your number four, G. My number four is a serious man. No. Yeah. Ah. I mean, we were going to have crossover, weren't we? But yeah. I, I love it for all the yeah. reasons you've just described. It's really, really good. And it, it's it is, so good. It's weird how, you know, they win Oscars for stuff like No Country for Old Men and things like that and, yeah. and, and other movies that people adore. And for some reason, this film just seemed to come and go. And I don't know why. It doesn't have a hook, does it? It doesn't have like a... No. And it's quite autobiographical. Uh, you can tell it, you know, they're pulling on their <laughs> own pasts and their own childhoods. 
And you can tell that they, they've grew up in yeah. kind of that kind of environment. Yeah, 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 definitely. And yeah. Um, it's a bit of a, for that reason, it's probably a bit smaller and less dramatic. You know, there's no, I don't think, are there any guns in this film at all? Probably not. No. Like, it's not a big crime thriller like people want from the Coens. So it's that's probably why yeah. it's a bit less sort of revered. But no, I think it's incredible. I think it's a really, really good, smart, clever film. So uh, yeah, a serious matter. That's why I love film. the. But that's why I love the Cohen brothers, because I don't I never expect anything from them. I expect a good written script. And that's pretty much it. Like yeah. I because I, that's the thing, like in my list, I, I there's so many different things because I feel they're just really good filmmakers. Yeah, It's not like, for example, you'll expect from Tarantino a certain thing and you do and you'll expect from uh, Wes Anderson, you know, the, the oh, quirky yeah. kind of like, but from the Coen brothers, every film for me is a surprise because although sometimes they do the same kind of thing and the themes kind of kind of be the same, I feel like a lot of what they do is just incredible because they're so diverse yeah. in every film they do. I agree. You're right. Yeah. So if your number four is my number five. What's your number four? My number four is... Um, da -da 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 -da. It's the 2003 romantic comedy Intolerable Cruelty. Interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, it's the romantic comedy of the Coen brothers and it stars George Clooney, Catherine uh, Zeta-Jones, Jeffrey Rush and um, Edward Herman and Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. So uh, in a few words, this uh, film is about Mouse uh, um, Massey, played by George Clooney, is a divorce lawyer and... Um, uh, he he specialized in uh, saving the rich husbands paying uh, expensive settlements. And he's always been unchallenged. He's always been really good until this case. I, it's funny because when you go and watch this film and I watched it at the cinema, you assume there's going to be like a normal romantic comedy. Yeah. Like a simple, because, you know, uh, you have Catherine Sister jones uh, George Clooney is going to be a fantastic romantic comedy, but it is not a romantic comedy. It is, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's intelligent. <laughs> Again, things spiral and George Clooney falls for Catherine Sister jones and he shouldn't do. And she, uh, but it's just... It's just a completely different film from the Coen brothers. Mm. And I think them being able to do a film like this is pretty amazing. And I love it. I love Intolerable Cruelty. Have you watched it? Oh, I've seen Intolerable Cruelty. I really like it. It's it's definitely, I think it's it was the first film the Coen brothers wrote based on someone else's idea or something like that. I think yeah. for that reason, yeah. for some reason, people have a bit of a sniffy attitude towards it and feel it's a bit sort of beneath the Coen brothers, if you see what I mean. Um. Yeah. I've even seen people kind yeah. of not count it as a Coen Brothers movie, which is bizarre to me because it's got their touches all over it. And, oh, yeah, I really like it. I completely support uh, you having it in your top five because I think it's a great movie. And it's it would be impossible it is a not great to movie. fall in love with Catherine Zeta-Jones in, uh, in that film. So, I, it's, she's amazing yeah. and it's so different I think it's just a completely different film and you 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 go in expecting one thing and then you don't get what you're expecting yeah yeah in a way 
and um and i the and i feel like maybe it's the coin brothers not being scared to do what they want to do like they just they sh- they should just have free reign because they're great filmmakers and i think this is part of it you know people people are sniffy about it and probably because of the cast you know probably because of like you know Catherine zeta jones and um George Clooney could then is going to start in other films, but I feel like maybe that's the the case as well. Yeah, and also like in the same kind of year, I think Catherine Zeta Jones came out uh, with another film with Julia Roberts called American Sweethearts, mm. and I think people were expecting something like that, and they didn't get that. No, they got a Coen Brothers film. And so Coen Brothers fans are like, oh, no, it's not Coen Brothers enough. People that don't really know the Coen Brothers are like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. And I and I I just loved it because it's just exactly what I I expect from the Coen Brothers. Just having something that is unexpected. Yeah. No, I I like it. That's my number four. Good. Good. My intolerable cruelty. Thank you. What's your number three? So my number three, it's set in the 60s. It's about a man whose life is spiraling out of control while an un- while a cruel world looks on without um, interest. Uh, but it's not a serious man. It's another film of theirs set in the 60s where a man's life spirals out of control. Inside Lewin Davis. It's my number three too. Is it? Oh, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Inside Lewin Davis. Yes, let's. So, um, Inside Lewin Davis is a film set in the 60s in New York in Greenwich Village where um, the kind of folk scene was taking off in a big way and eventually spawned, you know, Bob Dylan effectively is kind of the big result of that whole um, yeah. era. Uh, Oscar Isaac plays Lewin Davis, a struggling folk singer living in the village and trying to make things work. He's released an album, but nobody's buying it. He's not got much money, and he's sleeping mm. on people's couches. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, basically, bad things start happening to him. He's trying to make things work, and it's just a snapshot in a, of a few days in the life of this man as he tries to make things work and maybe realises that, you know... It's not a very happy film, is it, really? <laughs> like, no, very- no. Um, no, it is not at all. Uh, like, you know, basically he's just maybe not going to make it and it's not going to be, no. his future's not going to be where he wants it to go and he's sort of struggling. Um, uh, but it's just made up of all these different, like, vignettes almost of, like, things he does. Yeah. There's a there's an incredible scene where he, like, works as a musician for hire for Justin Timberlake's character as they record, like, a novelty mm. pop song called, um, is it called Please, Mr. Kennedy? I think. Mm. And you've got like a pre-fame Adam Driver is in there as part of this band as well. And there's this, me and my brother watch it on YouTube sometimes because it makes us laugh so much where they're performing this song. It's like, please, Mr. Kennedy, I don't want to go to outer space. And it's such a, A, it's hilarious because it's like an anti-going to space song, which is such a weird thing. To, <laughs> like it feels so yeah. out of touch with what the 60s was about. People were like pretty keen, I think, on space. Like it, Anyway, there's that. And then there's also Adam Driver doing backing vocals just going, Outer space. <laughs> Outer space. And sometimes me and my brother will just suddenly say that to each other because it makes us laugh so much. <laughs> Outer space. And um, 
And then, you know, uh, it's just, oh, it's such a good film. And there's a cat. There's, yeah. there's an amazing cat there's in a this cat. movie. And it, what yeah. could you ask for more than the Coen brothers and a, a cute cat? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great film. Why do you like it? Ah, uh, Os- Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love his voice. Uh, I I love the fact that it's a film that you would expect that the moment it will spiral down, something will happen that's going to be good, and it doesn't. Like the last scene where he leaves the club. Yeah. Uh, it's oh the song a thousand miles. I love. I I listen to that every every week. I I love the soundtrack. Mm. Um. Uh, it's just a good film of uh, somebody not making it. Yeah. But also somebody that it feels that he's too good for anything else. So he's quite um, in a way you know why he doesn't he can't make it. Yeah, because he's kind of his own worst enemy. Yeah, he doesn't compromise, and, does um, he? No, he, yeah, and in a way, it's good because you shouldn't compromise for your art. Bob, Bob Dylan never, and he's not, or maybe he did at the beginning, but now he doesn't compromise. But maybe at the beginning, when you become, when you when you want to get into the industry, you should compromise. Yeah. I just, I just think is is great. Um, the coloring of it is like this, like bluish kind of, always kind of. Unhappy mood, I feel. Yeah. 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 And Kerry Mulligan is perfect in it. Yeah. uh... What's she not perfect in? She's perfect in everything. She really is. Yeah. So, no, I I really enjoy this film. It's a good, good film. Nice. I like it. Okay. So, that's my number three and your number three, right? Yeah. Good. So, So what's your number two? My number two is... uh, Back to their sort of screwball comedy stuff. It's their yeah. 2000 crime comedy drama. Oh, brother, where are thou? Why are you looking at me like that? That's my number two. No, go home. I don't... <laughs> Get out. Get out of town. No. Go home. No, it's just true. It's true. I can't even change. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's taking too long to make this list. I'm not changing it. You can change it. I'm, yeah, no, I'm not changing it. Um, Oberweil Vow is a story. What's what you want me to? Ch- do you actually want me to change it? No, oh, no, okay. no, no. Of course not. It's- uh, change it. Change it. Uh, yeah, it's no. set in 1937, rural Mississippi. It follows three Mississippi. Mississippi. Well, there's three um, prisoners who are part of a chain gang that escape uh, and try to uh, fix their lives. It's loosely based on Homer's Odyssey, the classic Greek epic. Um, Yeah. And the three prisoners are played by George Clooney in what is probably my favourite role that he's ever done, I think. Yeah. I can't think of a film I like him in more than this one. Um, Mm -hmm. John Turturro, who is... Yeah, a, cl- a regular in the Cohen's world, and is wonderful in this. Is is wonderful in everything, and Tim Blake Nelson, who again, he's probably this is probably the quintessential Tim Blake Nelson role. It's almost perfect. <laughs> it's so good in this film, and it's um, it's kind of iconically the first movie to ever be digitally color corrected in post production, which gives mm. the entire movie this kind of yeah. sepia tone, which works for it 
perfectly. The soundtrack won a Grammy because it is frankly incredible oh, and perfect. Incredible. It's so good. And yeah. um, similar to Inside Lewin Davis, and a lot of their films actually, they, they kind of come back to this. It, it, it's again sort of composed of different little vignettes. Um, and mm. sort of this is in line with it being based on the Odyssey, I suppose, because this kind of, but they, they encounter various different characters and people as they kind of yeah. travel across Mississippi to look for, um, or basically for George Clooney. George Clooney's character has a journey he's going on, essentially. Um, yeah, he has to get back to his wife, like uh, Ulysses. Ulysses. Egg, Ulysses. Exactly. Um, yes. And along the way, they encounter John Goodman in a sinister, weird role. They encounter. <gasps> Uh, a bunch of I, he's evil <laughs> yeah. in that like that was going to be one of my movie villains because he's horrific in there he is he plays good evil. or was it yeah because he's also in um and it's not on my list but i like it barton think have you seen barton think yeah and he's yeah. he's he's a, he's effectively playing the devil in that movie i think <laughs> like he's yeah. awful in that film. <laughs> um you've got chris durning who played the titular Big Lebowski in the Big Lebowski, um, mm-hmm. playing like the governor of Mississippi. He's really, really good in it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's really it's 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 incredibly funny, like incredibly funny. Yeah. Um, and George Clooney is a dapper Dan man, and that's all we need to say. Yeah, it's it's a great film, mastery of filmmaking, funny. Uh, bad at some points. When the John Goodman bit, it's just for me, it's terrifying. He's terrifying because he's just so violent. And I think one of the things in in the Coen Brothers films, like when vi- violence is so kind of brutal, isn't it? But in a kind of like maybe slapsticky kind of way. Yeah. So it's supposed to be funny, but at the same time. That the people are actually suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not funny, but it's just, oh, I, I don't know. I just love this film. The music in it is incredible and it's so much fun. And uh, yeah, Ollie Hunter is the wife and she's really yeah. good. Yeah. Ollie Hunter from yeah. um, Raising Arizona. The... Yeah. And the piano. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not from here. <laughs> That's not a Coen Brothers movie, though. But yeah. Yeah, from Raising Arizona. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just brilliant. I love what it. What else to say? It's a good film. It's just good, good film. And it was again the Coens, uh, not super early in their career, but in like a midpoint of their career, showing that what they can do because it was a bit pretty unlike yeah. anything they've ever done before or since, really. A kind of big period. I mean, Louis Davis is a serious man of period dramas, but not in the same way. Yeah, but Oprah Wright Val feels like it exists in its own universe. Um, yeah, which is cool. I love it. I just love it. It's such a good film. Definitely. So there we go. That's my number two. That's your number two cool. as well. My number two. Um, which... What is your number one? <laughs> my number one. I've got a real strong suspicion that it's going to be the same again. Really? Yeah. No. My number one favourite Coen Brothers movie is their... Let's see, what year did it come out? The 1996 black comedy grime film Fargo. No. Okay, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, Fargo was probably their breakout film, I, I, I reckon. Mm. It's yeah. um, set in... It's kind of a period film as well, because I think it's set in the 80s. Oh, no, no, it's set during the end of... Ni- no, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. 
uh, yeah, it's set in 1987, but it came out in 1996, so it's sort of a bit of a period piece. Um, it is a film, again, it's about events spiralling out of control in a way that nobody can predict and just bad mm. things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people as well. Yep, that's covered. And just generally bad things happening to everyone um, mm. and people not really knowing what to do. It stars, um, it's got such a cast. Frances McDormand plays Marge Gunderson. She won an Oscar for this role and that was the right choice because she's just incredible in this movie. Perfect, playing a um, a police detective who's assigned to investigate this uh, murder. William H. Macy plays Jerry Lundegaard, a used car salesman. Oh, a car salesman, so I don't think he's used car salesman. Um, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare play two kidnappers. You've got... John Carroll Lynch, the great John Carroll Lynch playing, who was in uh, The Invitation, playing uh, mm. Norm Gunderson, Margie's husband. It's just full, it's full of incredible actors and it's so, so incredibly funny. I watched it last week um, to remind myself of it and every single live Steve, Steve Buscemi has in this movie is so funny and so hilarious. And it's so fascinating that they made this film, it won a couple of Oscars. It didn't win them Best Film or Best Director, which is ridiculous. Mm. The English Patient stole all their Oscars that year. But um, it, would, it, it kind of put them on the map in a big way. And then the follow-up project from them was The Big Lebowski, which was a big flop and has gone on to be you know a big cult hit and probably mm. the most popular movie. Yeah. But Steve Buscemi plays two such different characters in Fargo and in The Big Lebowski, and it's really, really... It, to see the range of that actor is, is awesome and what, what the Coens can get out of him. I love that. Um, and and Peter Stormare actually is in The Big Lebowski. He plays a nihilist. So, yeah, I love it. Have you seen Fargo? Yes, but again, like Racing Arizona, I think I watched it about a very long time ago. So I don't, I, I was watching it today and I was like, I, do, I remember some scenes, but I don't remember others. So I can say, I can say no, probably, because I don't remember. Most of it. Okay, that's fair. Maybe when I, if I, like I was watching a trailer, so maybe if I watch it again, I'll say, oh yeah, I remember it. Yeah, but, but you don't um, remember it well. I enough. remember more than Raising Arizona, but I, d I don't know. Maybe not. Interesting. Interesting. I thought I did. It's one of those, it's, and the Coen Brothers are great at these kinds of films because The Big Lebowski was this as well, where the I think the first time I watched it, I remember being a bit like, hmm. Okay, that was pretty good. And then the, every time I watched it since, I like it more. Mm. Like I've watched Fargo about four times now, and when I watched it last week, I was laughing at almost every single line in the movie. Like it's so funny. <laughs> um, Steve Buscemi has some parts in this movie where he's just oh, it's so good. Um, so yeah, yeah, I love Fargo. I think it's not their best movie because that's the Big Lebowski for me. But out of this top five, is my number one spot is goes to Fargo. Out of all their films, that's the one I'm putting at the top because I adore it. And um, and yeah, it's got Frances McDormand in it. Mm, love her. Yep, she's great. She's so my favorite actress. Yes, please. Um, yes, please. That's my number one. Cool. My number one. It is not that good. 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 Uh, my number one is the Quinn Brothers' 2010 film True Grit. Interesting. True Grit is about um this outlaw. 
played by Josh Brolin, uh, that mothers um, Matty's, a 14-year-old girl's father, and uh, she um, hires uh, Jeff Bridges, a boozy, trigger-happy lawman, uh, to find uh, Tom Cheney, who killed her father. And uh, uh, they they don't get along very well. They're quite bickering. Yeah. They bicker, and it's quite. I like I like the the duo between um, Haley State Steinfeld and uh, Jeff Bridges. Like this, like young girl arguing with this old man, yeah. and her making more sense than he does. Yeah. It just I just love their that duo. And then uh, they find. Um, uh, they also to their journey. Uh, a uh, Texas Ranger called LeBuff, played by Matt Damon. Matt Damon is in a Coen Brothers film. You know, not bad. Yeah, not bad uh, and uh, they, these three venture in hostile territory uh, to find the killer of uh, Matty's dad. I love this film. I'm not a fan of Western. No, me neither. But I... Yeah, but I, I really, really enjoyed this film. I thought it was another... Is an, was another part of the Coen brothers that was away from the normal uh their kind of like what people expect yeah, and, it's I, a, and it's I really a remake. yeah and i really really enjoyed it. i i love how i feel like maybe they kind of make the characters make actors feel totally at their ease in their film yeah. in a way that they can do their acting best because I feel in the film, like everybody is amazing in it, and everybody, everything that happens is great, and I, I just loved it. And I didn't think I was gonna love it as much as I did, but I was obsessed with this film when it came out. Wow! I, it's it's another tick on their brilliance of filmmaking, making a remake and making it totally their own, but also quite um, faithful to the 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 film. Mm. But bringing it to a different era, and I just, I just loved it. I loved True Grit, so that's why nice. my number one. Have you seen True Grit? I've only seen it once mm. when it came out. Watch it again. Well, I don't remember. I, 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 I wasn't too keen on it. Ah. Um. Watch it again. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, yeah, no, I, I've, I, I watched it once when it came out, and I don't remember exactly why, but I just didn't particularly connect with it. So yeah, maybe I do mm. need to give it another another go. Cool. But a good a, no, Next an interesting pick for number one. I wouldn't have predicted it. So fascinating, interesting. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, honorable mentions is an odd one because it's just their entire filmography, really. Yeah. But um, it's all the other films. So. Uh, oh, I guess we'll go through the top five again. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So my yeah. top five was number five, Raising Arizona. Number four, A Serious Man. Number three, Inside Lewin Davis. And number two, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Finally, number one, Fargo. I don't know why I said it like that. That's bizarre. Why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my number five. <laughs> my number five, A Serious Man. My number four, Intolerable Cruelty. My number three, Inside Lewin Davis. My number two, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? My number one, True Grit. Mm -hmm. I like it. So I, I guess, yeah, like I said, honorable mentions is an odd one because it's the whole filmography, but if I was going to highlight a couple of others that I like, I'd go with The Big Lebowski, obviously. Uh, yeah. No Country for Old Men, the movie that did win them, that finally got them the Oscars for Best Director? 
No, they didn't get. I think they just got best picture. Anyway, no country for old men. Barton Fink and Hudsucker Proxy. Yes, uh, and if I had to say a few that I like, uh, probably the ones you've said, apart from No Country for Old Men, which I haven't watched, um, and Burn After Reading. I feel like it's, it's, it's the most insane film. It's just it's, it's just it's just a really silly film. I, that that's, I really again, enjoy. I've only seen that once and I don't remember it at all. I need to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt in it is class yeah jk simmons is in that one as well isn't he mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, yeah cool good stuff yeah uh so homework time yeah so you've seen all well maybe maybe you should watch a film uh, uh, a cohen film that you've never seen yeah i could well i could watch miller's crossing or the man who wasn't there i could re-watch true grit and give you an update on it as i've as i yeah yeah maybe you should do that okay. watch true grit and i think and you should watch fargo definitely yeah. check out fargo definitely. and i'll tell you if i remember because i mean francis mcdormand's your favorite actor yeah. yeah but i was i was convinced i had watched it and then i was like and then when i was researching for this and i was looking i think i was like have i have i and I was really confused, so I couldn't put it in because, like, I remember certain things, but I don't remember everything. Yeah. And if if it if it's not in my head, yeah, no, then that's it's not fair. Be, like, I think I think you'll yeah. like it though when you go back to it. I sh- I mean, I can't. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a great movie. Okay, so if you were going to recommend one thing from your culture catch up this week, what would you recommend? Um. Oh. 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 Oh, this is difficult this week. Okay, I <laughs> can I'm, do two if you want. Uh, I would definitely watch One Child Nation, yep. and um, I would recommend Brittany Runs a Marathon. Yeah, okay. Uh, you sounded yes. like you really liked that, and I think it's one of the less well-known films. Yeah, I definitely recommend it because I feel it gives like an honest and more truthful insight of uh, things, and, and I like w- the direction where films and music and society in a way is going with pressure on people. Mm. But yeah, that, those two. <laughs> I like it. How about well, you? Well, if I if you have if people have an opportunity to, I'd recommend It Takes Two, the co-op uh, video game that I've been playing. It's uh, really really brilliant. And also, um watch Run on Netflix. It's a really good thriller. Really okay. really good. If you like Misery, uh if you like Sarah Paulson, um you know, it's uh, it's worth checking out, and if you if you saw Searching as well, because that that movie is awesome, and uh, this director is continuing to make really good films. So uh, yeah, check out Run. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. It's been an absolute smash and a pleasure. Um, next week we'll be counting down our top five thriller films. We're going to go to a genre uh, rather than a decade because we like to mix things up and keep it fresh and original, um, like you expect from us at this point. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so top five thriller films next week. That'll be interesting. I'm excited to do that. So join us for that. Uh, please check the show notes for links to all the things we talked about in Culture Catch-Up, to the YouTube videos we shared in MyTube, and um, to links to all our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, we're on there. Um, and you can find links to all of that in the show notes. Please come and visit and follow and, and, and talk to us. Email us your top fives if you'd like. And... Um, We'll read them out and it'll be great. So thank you so much for being with us and we'll see you next time. Thank Thank you. you. I love you. Bye. Bye.